Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. For network or show information, visit fightradio.me or call 843-808-0777. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Good day, everyone, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest is Dr. Glenn T. Martin. He is the author of The Earth Constitution Solution, Design for a Living Planet. Unite as one planet or perish. This is the choice humanity faces as we witness unprecedented crises, ecosystem collapse, wildlife extinction, global pandemics, terrorism, terrorism, endless war, and economic, inqu- economic inequality. Creativity can overcome crises, but what will, take, what will it take to transform our world into one where peace, justice, and sustainability are planetary principles? With a comprehensive design for our living planet, the Earth Constitution Solution confronts our perilous future head-on. It shows the absurdity of the nation-state system, which gives Brazil the, quote, right to destroy the Amazon forest, the lungs of the earth. It exposes the fundamental flaws and corruption of the New World Order and Great Reset proposed by the World Economic Forum, fractured globalism plans that would divide us and exploit our precious planet. And it reveals why the Earth Federation movement is growing, as people realize that global problems can only be solved as a united planet. For more information, you can visit earthconstitution.world. And I'd like to welcome to the show uh, Glenn Martin. Good day, Glenn. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much, Robert. Good to be here. Well, thank you very much. And, and, you know, this on the day that we have, um, you know, one of the richest men in the world going up to space and looking down on our little fragile planet. Uh, So, you know, who knows what will that do for us? Uh, Yeah, who knows? Uh, I I read an article (laughs) yesterday that said uh, he ought to have a readmission charge. We We ought to charge him to come back. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, yeah, that would, that would help. Yeah, we um, we really obviously, you know, as a planet, we really have a lot of work to do. So um, I'd like to first start off with talking about um, the Earth Constitution. So can you explain to me, to the listeners, um, exactly what that is? Uh, yes, uh, and if it would be okay, I'll give a little bit of background. Um, we're going back to the First World War. Uh, after, during the First World War, there was a, an organization called the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom, and, some, and they were anti-war, but some of the leaders of that organization uh, realized that the war was not as you know the propaganda in every country had it the good guys versus the bad guys the war itself was a product of a world system of autonomous nations recognizing no authority no law above themselves uh, and all militarized and uh, uh, so after the first world war these leaders of the Women's International League for Peace and Freedom uh, founded a movement uh, that has continued to this day, and it's it's often called the World Federalist Movement, meaning they want to join the world, not abolish the nations of the world, but join all the worlds in a fe- all the nations of the world in a federation that de- brings law and democracy to the earth, and. This flourished between the two wars. In, in the Second World War, uh, even increased the demand. You know, prominent people, as many of uh, our listeners might know, uh, Albert Einstein himself uh, said, we need a world government if we're going to survive into the future because now we have nuclear weapons. And, 
And Albert Camus, the famous French writer, uh, said we need a world parliament. And so, so uh, this movement was going on. It was quite popular in the United States, and there were offices uh, of uh, various world federalist groups in New York City and Chicago. And so the uh, the founder of the World Constitution and Parliament Association which is the organization that I'm president of, was a man named Philip Isley and his wife, Margaret. And they were associated after the war with uh, the Chicago uh, uh, office for uh, United for a World Government. And uh, so there were meetings going on worldwide about of people concerned to uh, transform the world system. Uh, and... Uh, what Philip Isley did was was realize that we need a quality constitution for the earth, and he he used his the money from his successful business in Denver, Colorado, to organize people around the world, top notch international lawyers and so on, and they they first uh, they met in preliminary meetings, but in 1968 they met in. Uh, in Switzerland, and uh, from people from all around the world, and they elected a drafting committee of 25 persons. And for the next 23 years, that drafting committee worked on this constitution, sent out drafts to all the participants. They had three more big meetings, which we call constituent assemblies. And by 1991, they had finished the document that we now call the Constitution for the Federation of Earth. Since 1991, wow. uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, question? No, 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 keep, keep going. I'm just, that's an interesting, I mean, it's interesting how far back the concept was seated. Yes, yeah, it's not new, it's not new. In fact, as a philosopher, uh, you know, I could go way back to the ancient world where, People like Cicero were talk, or the Stoics were talking in these terms, and and uh, Immanuel Kant in the 18th century wrote an essay called Perpetual Peace, in which he explicitly called for an Earth Federation. But uh, uh, mm. the Constitution finished in in 1991 uh, is is in my view it's a brilliant document I, I only discovered this movement in 1995 uh, uh, after I had been a philosopher and writer about uh, my concern has always been world peace world justice and uh, and uh, so I discovered in 1995 this organization and became part of it and been active with it ever since uh, and so now we promote the ratification of the earth constitution it's been translated into many languages 23 languages uh it is a uh, uh wide widely known uh the original language was written in as english uh and uh so now we promote the study of it we promote world constitution and parliament association membership and we act uh to to get this out in front of the world is what we called our primary option for creating a decent future for humanity. And uh, yeah. um, so, there, there, you know, what? That, that's what? The, yeah, I was going to say, uh, okay, so now as a federation, um, I'm, I'm trying to get um, like a clear picture of, because see, right now, I mean, in today's world, as I mentioned in the introduction, there is so much... Um, uh, conflict, you know, that the yes. idea of Im- imagining <laughs> the world coming together under a federation—that's, um, you know, that that's a leap. I mean, I mean, based on today's environment, you know, so obviously there things have to occur for that shift. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. But right now, so how would the, you know, because a lot of countries will be um, interested in maintaining some type of sovereignty. Um, and obviously, with with a federation, it's a different kind of structure. So, how how would how do you imagine or how does it lay out where countries 
will balance the idea of being a federation member with sovereignty. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the concept of sovereignty is very important to many countries, par- partly because uh, it's only since the Second World War that many of the countries in the world have been decolonized. And, uh, you know, India became a sovereign mm-hmm. nation in 1947 after the war. And, and then during the 60s, a number of African nations became sovereign nations and so on. And, uh, but uh, uh, the sovereignty hasn't, I, I maintain, and I think there's a, a substantial literature on this, uh, uh, that sovereignty isn't all it's cracked up to be because you, we live in a world which is structurally unjust, in which the poor are exploited for their cheap labor and their cheap resources, uh, and the rich benefit from that. And, and we have uh, giant banking cartels, uh, giant nations with military power that can disrupt poor nations easily, uh, we we have a world that is that is is it, it not only is it full of conflict, but uh, na- no nation really is is sovereign in the sense that it's independent of a world system, which severely limits what it can do internally. Right, poor nations in the third world, Latin America, Africa, generally the global south. They can't get out of poverty. I've traveled all over the world and uh, uh, talked, you know, with, as part of this work and uh, talked to people in, for example, Togo in West Africa, very poor country. And, you know, I say to them, why are you so poor? And uh, they, uh, they uh, for a moment, they're shocked at the question. And I say, are, <laughs> are you lazy? And they say, no, we're not lazy, we work hard. And I say to them, are you stupid? No, we're not stupid. We, we're, we know a lot about, you know, we can do things. And, and it doesn't take long before they come up themselves with a reason why they're so poor. They're part of a world system. Talking to the, uh, for example, the agricultural minister in Togo a few years ago, he told me, you know, Togo is competing with other poor nations worldwide to produce cotton on a global market. So they're all producing cotton. The price of cotton goes down and down because there's so much competition. And he, he said to me, we're required to do this because we need international currency. You, you can't uh, be a viable nation without yeah. international currency. And yet, at the same time, he said, we can't sell cotton on the global market uh, at enough profit even to cover the cost of growing it. Hmm. So they're getting poorer and poorer. Right? And, and, of course, this is a world, it isn't just cotton, this is a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, and one of the things that we do when we talk to nations, uh, and we're not just talking to nations, we're talking to civic organizations, people, anybody who will listen, because Everybody's in, you know, we're all in this together on planet Earth. Um, but when we talk to the poor nations, we, we say it's in your interest, right? If you combine with other poor nations and you uh, initiate an Earth Federation under the Earth Constitution, you, you will be uh, freeing yourself from this global system that now does not allow, allow you to get out of poverty. So that, yeah. that's yeah, one thing. Yeah. yeah, I can see where that would help. And, and you know, if if we were to take an honest look at the world and the distribution of of supply and demand, you know, what would you know they, they could demand could easily be met if it weren't for those kinds of restrictive systems like those um, like they had to deal with. Um, yeah. So. Um, so now, and I would think that you know, t- talking to those countries, you know, in in you know the poor countries, those that have you know many needs for meeting um, to helping uh, the, the people live 
you know, a, a good life, it, you know, getting them to join, you know, makes sense. You know, like you say, you can create like a coalition, so to speak. Um, but getting the, you know, the, the country is like ours here in the U.S., you know, where, you know, we just, there's, there's such um, a, um, a heightened um, sense of nationalism, you know, and then there, the, yeah. the values of, you know, of, you know, gain, you know, and capitalism, you know, just seem to push aside some of the um, the other values, you know, that would that we would yes. need to, to balance it out. So, so what what I guess what's in it for for the the rich guys, the rich kids? Uh, I, I um, as as you reviewed in the introduction to the show today. Uh, you know, we're facing all kinds of crises in the world. Not only do we have a war <laughs> system in the world and perpetual wars, but but uh, the the many of nations are like the U.S. and Russia are upgrading their nuclear weapons systems and their delivery systems. You know, beginning with uh, President Obama right through President Trump and now President Biden. There's a trillion-dollar U.S. upgrade in the nuclear weapons uh, systems of the United States. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how you might feel about it, but I'm old enough to remember back in grammar school they demanded that uh, we had air raid drills. It wasn't that long after the Second World mm-hmm. War. We had air raid drills, and, and we had to hide under our desk. Right. And, oh, I remember and, that. Uh, <laughs> I remember you do that. remember mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and, yeah. and never made sense, then, but I remember. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. that's it. You know, I began, you know, and as a young, of course, I was very confused as a young person thinking about the life and the world and so on, but I began to, it began to dawn on me that this is just absurd. You can't. You're not going to survive a nuclear war. You know, hiding under your desk. And and uh, uh, and for some reason, you know, this this possibility of wiping out humanity has been with us since at least the late 1950s, when these intercontinental ballistic missiles and all these uh, nuclear weapons had developed between the Soviet Union and the United States, and it's still going on. And if you read some, like Daniel Ellisberg wrote a book um, uh, on the history of uh, n- nuclear weapons. He was one of the people that uh, revealed the Pentagon Papers, you might remember. And, and oh, yeah. uh, you know, it, 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 we have almost experienced Armageddon, not just in the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, repeatedly. Repeatedly, they have uh, been on high alert. Repeatedly, some meteorological phenomena has made them think we're under attack, and so on. And the same with the Russians. You know, uh, we're 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 just lucky to be alive. You know, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists has put the doomsday clock. It's closer to midnight, do uh, you know, than it ever has been. It's 120 seconds from before midnight now. And, and there's two reasons now, because the threat of nuclear holocaust is now complemented by climate collapse. Uh, we're facing, uh, you know, even the rich countries, they're not going to remain rich. We're, we're facing the disintegration of our planetary environment. And this may uh, itself activate a nuclear confrontation because people become more and more unstable and desperate and so on. We need a world, a, a world system that works for everybody, that can solve this problem of war, that gets rid of the nuclear weapons, that that is designed to address climate collapse. Right? That's what the first world countries need to realize. Right? And yeah. so the, the Constitution appeals to them, too. They the system that has benefited them so much, especially since the Second World War, uh, um, it, it is it is not something that can be maintained because it's it's a it's a system based on fossil fuels. It's based on uh, the banking assumptions of capitalism, which is perpetual growth. 
you know, if you if you give someone a loan, uh, the World Bank gives a, a, a loan to some uh, uh, third world country. The assumption is that the country will pay back, right? There's an interest on the mm-hmm. loan. There's a principal on the loan. But in, and so the assumption is that it has to grow. Its economy has to grow and so on. But this, under, uh, under uh, the best understanding of the environmental collapse, this is precisely the cause of the collapse. The, this perpetual growth using fossil fuels is something that just cannot continue on a finite planet. Finite li- yeah. resources, finite sinks. So, so we're going to have major transformation is going to have to take place if we want a future at all on this planet. And yeah. the Constitution yeah, is designed. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I certainly agree with you know definitely with you know with the fossil fuel and and you know the the shift or the increased interest in you know renewable energies or sustainable kinds of systems is is a is a great Start, but um, one of the things that um, concerns me, in a way, is you know, is seeing the fossil fuel companies um, moving into that industry. So they're, they're it's like we're we're moving into a, a sustainable, renewable kind of environment, yet it's being maintained by the same system and structure that the fossil fuels had. So, so I, yeah. you know what I mean? So it seems like that not only do we need to shift um, the object of energy, you know, being sustainable or renewable, but also the systems that support that. Yes, yes. And, and in my book covers a number of economists who speak in that way that you are describing. Richard Heinberg, for example, in his book on the end of growth, you know, it, it, it we we can't continue growth. Now, one of the assumptions behind uh, a, a kind of green capitalism is that we can get free of fossil fuel use and continue growth in other ways. Uh, but that is, um, I think that's a fallacy, that we, we have to learn, uh, as Herman E. Daly, who's perhaps the grandfather of all these, uh, these great environmental economists, you know, we have to learn that development has to be without quantitative growth. You just can't quantitatively continue to grow. It has to be, development has to be qualitative. We have to learn, okay. and this is part of what the book is about, uh, it integrates uh, system change with, uh, with what is often called spiritual growth and spiritual development, moral development. We have to learn to, to find meaning and fulfillment and happiness in life without this perpetual consumption without accumulation, without endless growth in our income and in our, in our possessions and so on. Uh, we're going to have to return to a new simplicity, right? And the simplicity doesn't mean yeah. that life won't be full of joy, but it's not going to be full of consumption. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah very much, yeah. And, you know, and I, I think people in general, you know, well, I would say, shouldn't say that, generalizing. But I would think that, you know, I know many people who wish for a simpler life, you know, things not, not to be so, you know, so um, materialistic or consumption-oriented. But so what, what I'm hearing in a way is that we need to redefine growth from the strictly economic numbers, quarter to quarter kind of a representation that we focus on now, to growth being include have that be a part of it, but in addition to that, those value systems, the the um, the human side of of the equation. Yes, 
Yes, mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, um, in in already uh, in, in my last book, 2018 book, uh, I I included a section on the UN Development Program, and I and I have. Uh, criticisms of the sustainable development goals of the UN that we can discuss at some point. But, but in the UN Development Program, which is uh, kind of um, gives advice to poor countries around the world, one of the good things that they have realized is that uh, there that we need to be that economies need to be promoting people's sense of a quality of life, a sense of being part of a community, a uh, sense of uh, having a, a, a spirit of uh, people working together, uh, a sense of fulfillment without increasing consumption and, and possessions and so on. Uh, so it's possible, uh, in, and this is a very good sign, I think, you know, that people are beginning to realize that uh, yeah, capitalism famously commodifies everything, as Karl Marx originally pointed out, you know, and people are not a commodity. Uh, there's, there's, there's a couple of um, uh, scholars who used to work for the UN, for the United States uh, uh, Budget and Management, uh, and they wrote a book called Priceless, Right, and they 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 criticize the budget and budget and management dimension because it would do cost benefit analyses, and because mm-hmm. cost benefit analyses under capitalism cannot have anything that doesn't have a quantitative value to it, that they were putting a quantitative value on everything, right? Even so, uh, a disease quantitative value if you get a disease and the value of a human life mm. was 6.1 million dollars i believe in the u.s you know calculates uh and and it becomes absurd right life is mm. not like there's some there's something precious and infinitely valuable about right. life which we associate with human dignity and with human rights human dignity human happiness our inner spirit and so on you can't quantify these things but this is what e- economics should be about, right? Not simply accumulation. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it is it's a um, it's a tough situation when you want to um, you know promote um, you know, the, the idea of, of equality and. Um, the the value trying to like you said trying to put a value on something that that's like immeasurable really when it comes to yes. value and and it, that goes that goes back just to the the um, quote understanding that value is the end result should be the the key focus when when it's much more than that yes yeah, yeah. and uh, and I guess, if, well, you know we could, could economics uh there's there's a uh, a contemporary economist named Kate Raworth in Great Britain who wrote a book called Donut Economics and and uh it's it's really excellent because she's one of the alternative uh, environmental economists and uh, uh but she says economics was always framed traditional capitalist economics was always framed as is defining iron laws, iron laws of supply and demand, iron laws of profit and loss, and so on. And she says, no, what economics is about is how we design our relationships. You know, it, there, aren't, uh, there are no yeah. such thing as iron laws unless they're part of a system that we, we ourselves have built. And we right. can design uh, economic relationships so that we don't have 1% of the Earth's population owning 50% of its wealth and 2 billion people in the world going to bed without sufficient food, without sufficient nourishment, with, in, in living in horrible circumstances. 
You know, the, yeah. it, that's a product of a system, a design, and uh, we can design it differently. Yeah, and I, I think it's going to take um, kind of subsystems starting first, kind of working its way up, you know, from the ground level of people, you know, designing those systems, showing how they work, you know, and then the, the value and benefit of it. Um, but we're about halfway through the show already, um, Glenn, so I want to take just a quick break. Um, and I do want to invite listeners, if you would like to call in and ask any questions, you can call in at 619-789-4359. And for those listening live in the chat room, if you have any questions, feel free to pose them there. And, and then when we come back from break, Glenn, I want to um, talk about, in your book, you talk about holism. So why don't we kind of come back and maybe we can talk a little bit about what it is and, and how we can shift toward that, okay? Okay. Great. Everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Hello. This is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us and hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,400 shows we have had over the past nine years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, photography, a wellness store, and self-publishing assistance. Our show is a free podcast on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on many social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms at the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Okay, everyone, thank you for staying with us again today. My very special guest is Dr. Glenn T. Martin, and we are talking about his work as well as his new book, The Earth Constitution. Um, Design for a Living Planet. Uh, excuse me, sorry about that, folks. Um, you can find out more by visiting Glenn's website, which is earthconstitution.world. Okay, with that, we're back, Glenn. Thanks for staying with me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, your book, you talk about holism. Um, so can you tell us uh, what that is? You know, and uh, well, what we're, we're yes, mm-hmm. we're we're in a, a conceptual revolution that that was begun by Max Planck in 1900 and Albert Einstein in 1905, uh, and it's a conceptual revolution that ha- is moving has moved all of science, science, natural sciences as well as. Uh, cosmology as well as even psychology and so it's moved all of science away from assumptions that were uh, developed in the 17th century during the time of the rise of science by people like Galileo and Kepler and Sir Isaac Newton and so on the the early modern view of the world uh, that came out of the Newtonian synthesis was was that the world was like a giant machine. It was a mechanism. Uh, Space and time were absolute, and a framework for bodies in motion, and these bodies were determined in their relationship with one another by a universal causality. And there was no place in Newton's uh, theory for mind as a reality. Mind became just uh, human subjectivity, a kind of epiphenomena on what they took to be real, which was the material world and the bodies and motion and so on. Um, all, of that is, all of that has changed, but uh, I want you to notice uh, that, that the dominant institutions 
that are there in the world, the nation-state system, system of sovereign, autonomous nation-states, and global capitalism were developed during that era, that era mm-hmm. of the false Newtonian paradigm. They're mechanistic, they're causalistic, they're materialistic. And But beginning with Einstein and Planck and the development of quantum theory and relativity theory and so on, we we one major scientist scientific spokesman after another has affirmed the holism of the cosmos. That is, everything is interrelated with everything else. Everything is interdependent with everything else. There's no such thing as hard, fast atoms or building blocks out of which things are made, and even the concept of matter has dissolved. Now uh, they're speaking about information, and they're speaking about mind as being part of the dimension of uh, reality that science has has exposed to us, the relationship uh, uh, in quantum physics between mind and matter. Uh, The choices people make are actually influencing the result in their experiments. All of this gives us a new holism, which which we need to apply to human life. Right? Uh, and if we apply that to human life, we realize that we are all interdependent with one another. There, there's no such thing as a sovereign, autonomous person who hasn't been continually evolving throughout their life through their interaction with others all of us have are that are what we are because of that interaction and and uh, it, it 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 bears on everything right so if we're really interrelated with one another the the ecologists have shown us that the planet as a whole they call it uh, Gaia Right, the plant using mm-hmm. the idea of a living, living reality, the interdependence of everything, ecosystems within ecosystems within ecosystem, going up to our planet as a whole, which moderates the and uh, the sunlight coming to the planet and and has an ozone layer protecting all the living things on the planet. It's a holistic interdependent system, and human beings have uh, since the industrial revolution and the discovery of fossil fuels and how to use these fuels with this immense power that they give to us you know you you can this little a little thing that weighs six pounds a gallon of gasoline you put that in your truck and it'll drive you 30 miles it's just amazing you know, the the power the energy in in these fossil fuels and what that has done uh, in conjunction with our assumptions coming from the early modern uh, Newtonian view that we are autonomous and independent of uh, nature, uh, the, what this has done is, is bring us to the verge of destroying the environment itself. Right? And uh, so, so, you know, the, the conversion to holism means we have to begin thinking uh, what the, you know, what... Uh, Jeremy Rifkin calls uh, we have to develop a biospheric consciousness, right? Others call it an ecological mm-hmm. consciousness and so on. In other words, we have to be aware of our interdependence with nature and with one another, with the world around us. And right now our institutions and our economics do not reflect that interdependence. Um, the Constitution for the Federation of Earth does reflect that, right? It's a holistic document. And in the preamble to the Constitution, uh, it speaks of the unity in diversity. You know, diversity mm. is not something we want to eliminate. Diversity of the world, right. its nations, its cultures is wonderful. But we need we, we lack unity, right? We lack a, a real consciousness of our unity with the rest of humanity, our unity with the biosphere that supports life, and uh, this is built right into the Constitution from the very 
beginning. Yeah. So yeah, we, yeah. we certainly do. Yeah, that that holistic um, view, you know, is, is certainly um, would certainly alter um, the course of humankind. Really, I mean, you know, as far as being able to recognize the interconnectedness of everything. Um, and do you feel? I mean, I understand that as a um, um, as our goal. Do you feel things like? COVID-19, something that was experienced, some like devastation that was experienced globally and without prejudice, you know. Um, yeah. Do you feel that things like that help raise awareness maybe of the global nature of, of our existence, or do you feel that maybe it um, uh, strengthens the the idea of nascent state and separateness. Uh, well, it it, it may uh, do both, right? On on the one okay. hand, okay. you know, I, I had I had a conversation with Irvin Laszlo, uh, though, who is the well-known uh, promoter of the idea that human beings are part of holism and that we need to develop coherence as a species and so on. Uh, and he, you know, he said, uh, you know, maybe uh, COVID is a blessing in disguise. You know, obviously not as a deep disguise because it's wrecked so much uh, havoc on the earth. But, but nevertheless, people are, are saying that this this is evidence of our fragmentation, evidence of our inability as human beings to work coherently together. There's no if you know if we were united as a people and we realize that everybody needs health protection and health care and uh it, it, there would be there's no reason why this shouldn't have to have happened right there's, they knew very yeah. well that pandemics could have happened and they the world health organization knew about it and so on but but uh the fragmentation of the world uh, into all these Separate nations, each one handling it in their own way. Some of them, uh, you know, I read articles when the pandemic started uh, complaining about uh, how nations were hoarding it or nations were, were hoarding mm-hmm. the vaccine or, and so on. And, and it's just, it's just a, a tragedy that we as a species are not united because our real problems are global. Right, weapons yeah. and proliferation is global. Uh, Earth, the climate collapse is global. Uh, the overreach on our diminishing resources is global. Pollution in the oceans is in elsewhere is global, right? And yet we have no, we're not globally united to deal with these problems. We're fragmented and and yeah, hostile and suspicious yeah. of one another. This is our situation. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I I I um I one you know of course spending time doing shows you know during this whole period and being you know reflective like many in the world are during that time. Um, yeah. It it was one of those things where I you know you got to see inequity maybe that was below the surface um, that you didn't see or that was just, but it was highlighted, you know, I mean, it was it, it just kind of put a exclamation point on everything, you know, all of the, all of the systems that aren't working. And, um, you know, one of the things, you know, I mean, the idea of, you know, the, the environment responding by, you know, in Venice, being able to see, you know, I guess, well, dolphins or, or you know, fish in the water before everybody hadn't before, or clear skies over China, you know, those kinds of things where it was obvious. I mean, it was like obvious. You know, we we stop yeah. our 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 movement or our participation for a bit, and this is how the Earth reacted. And you know, so one in one way, I thought that it was. In the, or an effective way for Earth, you know, to kind of give us a glimpse yeah. as to our impact. Now, one of the things I hope that happens is that we 
keep that in mind and move forward, you know, recognizing that, you know, what, what happened before can happen again. Also what, you know, what our actions are today can also have a, we have a chance to be able to change things for the positive. So, yes. um, so I think, yes. So I think that that's, um, now one of the things that, um, you know, crossed my mind when we were talking, you're talking about the Federation um, is, you know, there is that, um, the old, um, not the old, there is that new world order, the idea of a new world order that, um, so, can you tell us about kind of like the origins of that, and you know, is is that the yeah. the the goal, or, or you know, how does the federation differ from the idea of a new world order? Um, well, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, there are tremendous forces in the world that now. Uh, determine the way things operate. Multinational corporations right. that, that have immense wealth, more wealth than many countries. The, the World Bank and the IMF, uh, which are consortiums of private banks, primarily U.S. banks, that uh, uh, work together to uh, determine the, you know, all the economic power that they have. There's, there's. Uh, Imperial nations that uh, have tremendous influence over the UN and uh, especially the United States and uh, and the way things operate in the world. Uh, the as you know the uh, the primary currency the petro is a petrodollar, right? And uh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. act to, to maintain the value of that dollar and and. Uh, doesn't is not happy when people talk about getting off the petrodollar and and using other forms of exchange. Uh, all these forces uh, are are uh, connected with the phenomena known as globalization. Right? Globalization that especially mm-hmm. came out of the Ronald Reagan re- re- revolution, late seventies, early eighties, uh, where where these these uh, giant forces began to realize that we needed some global organization, and so they they formed the World Trade Organization, which has page after page after page of intellectual property rights, you know, protecting the corporations and so on. And and mm-hmm. this is the new world order, right? The the new world order that George H. Bush, the first George Bush as President of the United States talked about, that was a an order of domination. There, that new world mm-hmm. order. See, you know, they they use the word governance. We need form to develop forms of global governance, right? The the uh, G7 and the G20 need to meet and talk about global governance and so on. And and. What they're what they're doing is refining and institutionalizing the system of domination, which is is in, inherent in the nation state system and the capitalist system, going way back, right? But now it's globalized, and so they're they're it's it's a it's a disaster for the people of Earth, and uh, it's it's not equality, it's not freedom. And it just institutionalizes the rule of the rich and the super rich, which is is what has been the case all along. Uh, the yeah. Earth Constitution liberates us. It's it's completely different. What it, it, uh, it each nation retains sovereignty over its internal affairs, just like Pradesh within. India, cantons within China, states within the United States. Right? The United States is a federation, and a federation mm-hmm. means that the units uh, are governmentally legitimate. The the state, you know, we we have local government in our local towns, uh, regional government maybe in our counties, state government. The state has certain authorities, certain sovereignty. There are state laws that you and I have to obey because the state has the sovereign ability to enforce those laws. There's federal laws. But beyond that, there is no law in today's world, 
right? Beyond, beyond the nation state, there's no enforceable law. And so all the Earth Constitution does is add a constitution for the whole Earth in which each of the levels of government will have its legitimate sovereign authority. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. and uh yeah and so so uh, it's a, it's a parliamentary system there's three houses in in the world parliament uh and this is the ultimate authority of the earth it's a genuine parliament it's not a trilateral commission or a new world order you know uh, run by the rich it's it's uh there's a house of peoples with a thousand uh, representatives from each of a thousand electoral districts, roughly equal in population. Uh, it's somewhat similar to the House of Representatives in the United States. Mm-hmm. Right? People popularly elected from their local region. There's, a, and then in the World Parliament, there's the House of Nations. Each nation, according to the Constitution, will have one, two, or three representatives in the House of Nations, depending on its population. Right, so the United States would have three representatives there, and so on. Big big countries yeah. would have three. And then there's the House of Counselors, which I think is a brilliant feature of this. Uh, they're they're chosen and elected uh, from 20 world regional uh, districts, uh, and 10 each from these 20 districts, and. It, it's done in such a way as to attempt to get highly educated, wise, thoughtful people into the parliament. There will be 200 people in the House of Counselors. So the world parliament will have about 1,500, maybe 300 from the nations, House of Nations, 200 from the House of Counselors, and 1,000 from the House of People. And that is, they'll be making laws according to the criteria specified in the constitution their their authority specified in the constitution to deal with global problems right to create global yeah. reasonable global justice to disarm the nations and create a world a peace system for the world not the war system and to protect the global environment right this is yeah. so you can see you see i think why it's totally different than the new world order right this this is a uh, a dem- global democracy is not yeah. the new world. It's, it's more, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it's more uh, more representative than dominate, dominating kind of approach. Yes, it's yeah. it's uh, in the job of part of the job of the parliament will be to diminish global differences. The, the absurd, it's absurd. That one percent of the Earth's population should own fifty percent of the wealth in the world—it's it's just absurd. And something has to be done if we're going to have a decent future for humanity. Yeah, we do. We do definitely need this shift. Now, what what do you hope that the the reader is, is going to you know take away um, from from reading the book, the, the Earth Constitution Solution? Well. Uh, I, I hope that they would become a, a supporter of, of this movement, right, which has got representatives in, in many places around the world already. Um, uh, I, I, what the, the book does is bring together themes that I've, I've worked with as an academic and a scholar for, for many years. One theme is spiritual growth and development. Uh, but another thing is critical social theory. Right? Critical social theory really goes back to the Karl Marxist tradition and all the critical social thinkers that have come out in different directions from that tradition uh, in, in which they expose the way the systems of the world create injustice, create imperialism, mm-hmm. create Dis, dysfunction and so on. The the, the world systems uh, are not in any way designed rationally, designed for general human welfare. They're designed for the welfare of the dominant few, dominant nations, 
dominant uh, wealthy people, dominant corporations, and so on, dominant bankers, and and uh, so I, I would want a per- people to see how we, as a as a species, as a humanity, need to move into the future, taking into account real spiritual transformation so that life becomes a matter of quality, not quantity, real uh, democracy so that everybody in the world becomes a citizen of the world uh, um, federation and there's no more and human rights to violations, wars, all these terrible phenomena that now go on will can be ended and will need to be ended if we want a decent future on this planet and a system which allows us to develop a biospheric or ecological consciousness and live in harmony with the natural natural world right it has yeah. to be a philosophic synthesis of of these dimensions of thought um, yeah. So I would I hope mean, the reader this would. This is a huge. Yeah. That's a huge paradigm shift for most folks. <laughs> that, yeah. that sometimes yeah. they don't even know they don't even know that they need, you know. Yes. But um, but it yeah. is necessary. I believe I believe so. You know, when I in, in the uh, chapters four and five of the book, chapter four uh, gives um, an account of the latest environmental scholars. Uh, uh, well-known scholars like Bill McKibben, who is probably the most famous environmentalist in the United States, uh, uh, Naomi Klein, who has written these powerful books, uh, and and uh, um, and what uh, it, what they agree on is the seriousness of the problem. It's really mm-hmm. it's really a crisis. It gets worse every year. And the more we delay in ra- making radical changes, uh, the the more the cu- crisis is going to be compounded for our children. You know, they're going to live in a world, as you and I know from recent news, there have been heat waves all over the world, right? Amazing heat oh, yeah. waves in Russia, in Europe, in places where they, Iceland, and in northern, in Canada, you know, they're experiencing temperatures they've never experienced before. And every year it gets hotter. Uh, uh, and there's floods, uh, you know, recently in Europe and mm-hmm. floods in Mumbai, all over the world. The the climate is, is go- wreaking havoc on people. And it's only going to compound and get worse uh, unless radical changes are made very rapidly. Right? And, uh, and, oh, yeah. and my argument... It's the Earth Constitution that is a tool or a means for making these changes democratically, fairly, and as rapidly as possible. Yeah, it's a good blueprint for for kind of how things can can work, and that's for sure. And yeah, and, yeah. and I have friends in in uh, British Columbia, Canada, with that heat wave they had up there was just you know completely. Um, Uncall, you know, un, unknown before you know before in history. Yes. So I mean, it's just um, you know, even Canada's not safe from a heat wave. So right. uh, but that's saying something. <laughs> so well, uh, it's been really a pleasure speaking with you, Glenn. Um, this is a, such a very interesting subject and one that um, you know people, if they go to your website, uh, EarthConstitution.World, um, they have a place where they can um, become a member. Um, donate yes. to your mission, and they can also follow you on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and and the such, and also a, a link to send you email. So um, people can go ahead and explore there. There are a lot of things that you offer. So I want to thank you for your time today. Well, thank you, Robert. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I really enjoy being Good. invited on your show. Thank you very much, and okay. and I'll be sure to follow you on those platforms so I can keep my hand hand on what's going on. Uh, Excellent. Okay. Thank you. Again, everyone, today my special guest has been Dr. Glenn T. Martin, and we have been talking about his new book, The Earth Constitution Solution, Design for a Living Planet. 
Again, you can find out more, like I mentioned, by visiting the website, earthconstitution.world. And again, on there, you can um, look at the, the Constitution, the forum. Um, they got all kinds of ways for you to become involved. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. To follow our show, visit our homepage at byteradio.me and select the platform you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again, remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.